Welcome to the Well Seasoned Librarian Podcast. This is Season 8, Episode 23. Today, my guest is James T. Bartlett, who is a journalist and writer who has written for the Los Angeles Times, the BBC, the ALTA California, Hemispheres, Westways, Atlas Obscura, Crime Reads, Real Crimes, and others. James is the author of the books Gourmet Ghosts 1 and 2, which are guides to the history, crimes, and ghost stories of L.A.'s oldest bars, restaurants, and hotels. His latest book, The Alaskan Blonde, Sex Secrets, and the Hollywood Story That Shocked America, is out recently this year and is available through all better bookstores. I'm going to now take you to my conversation with author James Bartlett. I always say that having great guests makes it easy for me, and in this case with James, it really is true. I could have talked to him all day, and we did end up talking quite a bit after the episode. I'll take you to this episode right now. Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. Today, I'm talking with author James Bartlett, who's written Gourmet Ghosts, both one and two. James, welcome to the podcast. You're, you're originally from Britain. What brought you to America? Well, it's a bit of a cliche story, I guess, but it was actually uh, for love um, in the end, um, the reason I came over here, because if you told me that I'd be living in Los Angeles, I would have said, why on earth would I be ever living there? Um, but I was living uh, for, for about five years. I lived in, in Belfast in, in Northern Ireland, um, and I was trying to do a bit of screenwriting at the time, and I managed to squeeze my way um, onto a, like a residential um, course for a week um, where they brought a number of screenwriters and producers from from across the world um, to a hotel, this little hotel on the coast. And one of the people who came um, was this um, American um, adjunct professor from UCLA, uh, Wendell Thomas. Um, and I didn't speak to her at all during the week because it was lectures all day during the days and we had separate teams. And then on the last night, um, there was a last night dinner and I was planning to sit with all the people that I knew, you know, all the people from, from locally. And I was late for the dinner and every seat was taken, which was my own fault, of course. And so the only seat I could see left was next to her. And I thought, well, she seemed really nice. You know, she seemed nice in the lecture. She seemed like a, a good person. You know, she seemed fun, even though she's American. Uh, and, I, and I sat next to her and that was it. And we, we just got on like a house on fire. And so, you know, she, she teaches at UCLA and she's lived in LA. She's from North Carolina originally, but she's been here for like 35 years. So she had a proper job as I call it, where I'm just freelance as a journalist. So I ended up coming over here in like 2004 and we've been, we've been married, you know, ever since. What did you think of Los Angeles when you first um, got there? You're from a big city uh, yourself in London, um, but what did you think of Los Angeles when you got here originally? What was your, what was your first take? Well, I think it's like everybody else thinks when they first came here, I was completely overwhelmed by all of it. Um, the size of it, the traffic. Uh, the oh yeah. So, so many people, um, it, it was a big change finding, you know, that everybody drives everywhere to do everything. Um, I mean, I'm still, I still don't, I still don't have a car here. I've, I've got my test. I've, I've always been a driver, but I've never brought a car here because as soon as I got here, having come from London, I was like, okay, I'm going to find out what's, what the bus service is like and what the subway is like and so forth. And now it's not great. And there's a lot of problems with it, but it does exist. And yeah. you know, we, we happen to live somewhere where we can't, we are on a couple of good lines and it's not inconceivable, but I did find out that for people who who've lived here forever, or even, even who just arrived, the idea of using public transport is inconceivable. Um, yeah. But it just doesn't cross people's mind at all. Um, 
So that was something that took a lot of adjustment. Um, and also, you know, as you say, finding out about the traffic and stuff, you know, how it really is true that someone who lives 10 miles away, I might never go over to where they live because it's right. just such a hassle to get there. And they might never come to where I live. You know, you often meet halfway or you'll meet somewhere that's the big center of something um, because it's just such a drag to get there. Um, but then it's also extremely cool. It's a very positive place. You know, everyone is here pretty much to try and make something of themselves. So yeah. everyone's extremely positive. Um, and thank goodness I'm not an actor, you know, because that seems to be something that um, unless you're absolutely blinded with passion for it, it's gonna be a really tough time. Um, so you meet all sorts of people and, and mainly from other places than here, which was interesting. And, and also it was, it was interesting to find that LA does have history because of course I oh, kept yeah. thinking that, you know, LA is Hollywood and there really isn't anything else other than, you know, perhaps going back to the beginning of the movies, maybe, but then wasn't it all fields, you know, and, and that's all you really think of. You don't really realize that, you know, LA is enormous and diverse and there's a really interesting history here, but we don't, we don't see that in, in movies a lot of the time because, you know, that's not what we're meant to see. You know, that's what documentaries and travelogues are for. You've written for various publications. Where did writing begin for you? And when did you realize that this would be your career? Um, I, I guess I, I don't really know, but I think possibly it may have had something to do, looking back now that I'm older, um, with the fact that maybe my grandfather, my uh, paternal grandfather, who actually died before I was born, was a journalist in England. Um, he wrote for The Express and he had a column and he was quite well regarded, as I understand at the time. Um, and so I've seen some of his clips and stuff and he was talked about a bit when I was younger. Um, so maybe that had something to do with it, but also I just think mainly I'm, I'm just kind of maybe a bit of a curious person or I'm maybe I'm too friendly, but I like talking to people and I like finding out things. And if something interests me or something confuses me, or I don't know how something works or someone has an interesting job, I always end up asking 10 questions about it. And I think that sort of leads you possibly into a way of, of writing or journalism in some way, um, certainly non-fictional. Anyway, um, one where you're dealing with people and and it certainly afforded me the chance to go to places and meet people I, I probably wouldn't have normally ever met just because I, I figure if you don't ask, you don't get, you know, and, and you know, you, yeah. you sort of go through life and, you know, you, you try and learn things, even if they're the most trivial, unusual things. And that's kind of what I, I like doing. And I guess journalism kind of or writing is kind of how that makes you sort of end up somewhere. Now, in 2012, you wrote the first of your two gourmet ghosts books. Can you tell us where the nucleus of these books came from and how the idea came to you? Yeah, I mean, it was partly to do with uh, having moved to L.A. and trying to sort of get a grip of the place. I mean, it was a, a few years after I'd been here, of course, and I had been working locally. Um, but I was starting to sort of go out a bit more and I was trying a lot of happy hours. And, you know, as I would always sit at the bar and talk to the bartender, because that was also a good way to get to know people and, and to get to know any stories. And, and since I especially liked the older bars, um, the ones that I thought might have stories, I would sit in there and eventually the bartender or sometimes the bouncer or the security guard, if it was a hotel, something like that, you, you could end up talking to them and just chatting away. And they would end up maybe telling you stories. Sometimes they'd be the celebrity stories, you know, because it's in, in Los Angeles. Um, but sometimes they would tell ghost stories or unusual stories. 
And I got told one and, and somebody suggested it to me or mentioned it to me. And I thought, well, that's interesting. That could make an article perhaps. Um, but what I, I decided was I, I was going to look them up in the newspaper archives first to see if the story I was told had any relation to anything that ever happened at that bar or at that hotel. Um, because otherwise, you know, you could just be making it up. Um, and I found out that lo and behold, most of the stories I got told had some basis in truth, or at least in the basis of something that actually happened in the, in the past, usually a long time ago. Um, and it just went from there. People, once they found I was interested in that, they said, you know, oh, you should look up here or you should go to this bar because that's really old. And I've heard this story and I've heard that story. And it just went on and on and on. And, and suddenly I had collected all these stories and these newspaper articles. And my wife just really said, you know, you should do a guide. This should be a guidebook. And I went to the local bookstores and found that they really didn't have a guidebook like that. You know, a uh, that was a, a restaurant guide, you know, bars, hotels and restaurants, places you could go that had maybe some food and drink recommendations if you were a tourist or a local, but then also had some of their unusual stories. You know, the ghost story or the crime story or a celebrity story. There were lots of sort of celebrity ones and there were a lot of ghost ones, but the ghost ones always just seemed to be, you know, the story goes. They say that that kind of thing. And I just thought, no, I want something from the newspaper that says, goodness me, there was a woman who was murdered in a bedroom here. And, you know, there, there's a story that a ghost haunts the building because she was murdered here. That's a connection to me. And it made it seem a little more real as much as a ghost story can be real, you know. And uh, it just really took off from there. I, I, I didn't realise that so many people were so interested in, in, I guess, history and ghost stories and crime. I know that I'm a huge fan of the paranormal, as is my wife, and we watch a lot of documentaries and TV shows on this topic. We've heard a lot about a few places in LA, like the Stan Main Hotel and the Viper Room. What are some of the favorite places that you like to go to that you find to be the most interesting? Yeah, there's a few. I mean, Stay on Main, as you say, that's that's famously more known as the Sissel Hotel. Uh, yes, that that is an extremely odd place. I've been there two or three times. Um, it's different now. It's uh, it's low income charity housing. Now you can't go in there. It's not a hotel anymore. Um, mm -hmm. But looking through the archives again, that hotel had way, way more suicides and murders and criminal activity. And, you know, two serial killers stayed there than anywhere else I'd ever come across. I, I can't I don't know why I've look, really looked hard to see if it was built somewhere unusual, built on a churchyard built somewhere in the worst part of town, whether there was a lot of problems, nothing like that. It was a very posh, high-end hotel when it was built. Um, so that place, very much so, is one I get asked about a lot, especially after the girl, uh, Elisa Lam, the tourist, died in the water tank about 10 yeah. years ago. So I get asked a lot about that. Um, but some of the other ones, again, they all tend to be older places. There's the Formosa Cafe, which is in West Hollywood. That's made partly made out of an old uh, Pacific Line uh, steam train, uh, tram. Um, part of that is the bar, and that used to be a gangster hangout, and that was owned by a guy called uh, Lem Kwan. Um, actually, it was the anniversary of his death the other day, and uh, he's, his ghost still haunts then. All the staff told me that when I went in there. You know, they, they had said, well, you know, I saw something and I described him, and they were describing this guy, of course, who they'd never met. Um, and it's a, that's a beautiful bar. And then the Magic Castle as the name might suggest, obviously has oh, yeah. some, some ghosts 
real and and imaginary um so that's a great fun place to go it's sort of a museum performance space library and it is a club for uh, magicians um then there's the Biltmore Hotel, which is in downtown Los Angeles. That's the uh, on right on Pershing Square. That's coming up for 100 years old. I got quite a few ghost stories from there. And, and it makes sense because a lot of these hotels, the really old ones, they've had hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people go through there over the years. And a few of them, it, just because it, uh, of just mathematics alone, will have died of natural causes. A lot of people go to... to to hotels to commit suicide as well and there's likely to be other uh crimes as well just because there's so many people that go there over hundreds uh, you know over over 100 years you know 800 rooms 100 years think how many people went through there um oh yeah and then even more the contemporary hotels like the uh the bonaventure hotel in downtown la now that was born in the, built in the late 70s and looks a bit like a spaceship um you know a lot of your listeners have probably seen it in a lot of movies all glass and they're circular conical towers that they're, they're like towers and it looks like a spaceship or at least a space land a spaceship has landed in the center of downtown that's only 40 years old it's very unusually designed really unusual inside really such a strange place gets is in a lot of movies but it's had its crimes you know it's had crimes too so um that one i particularly like to go and look at because it's so unusual but any old building when I, whenever I hear that a building's been repurposed or that a building's reopening, because for, for a long time, downtown was kind of a no-go area and all the buildings were largely abandoned. People, it wasn't hip like it is now. So whenever they open a new bar, I immediately look up the address in the uh, newspaper archives to see if anything ever happened there. And, you know, if it's 80 years old, chances are something did. And that, you know, is at least there's a crime. And then if I go there and never talk to any people and they tell me a story, if it relates to the crime, I'm like, okay, then that could be a ghost story. You know, I, I'm not telling you whether to believe or to not believe. You know, there, there are a lot of documentaries. I, you know, I, I, did, I did go into the, uh, when Ghost Adventures went into the Cecil Hotel a couple of years ago, I was on that show. Um, yeah. And, you know, it was, it, was, it was a fun thing to do and they're, they're a great bunch and it was, it was an interesting experience. But the problem with the TV shows is they are edited and, you know, they have to find things because otherwise there's no program. Um, right. You know, if they just walk around and it's completely silent, there's no program. Um, and these are old buildings, you know, there's old plumbing and old piping and old radiators and old everything. Um, you know, so the older hotels, especially, you know, all the elevators, you know, open and close of, on their own because, you know, it's a hundred year old electrics. Are there any... Um... Are there any hotels or bars that you've been to where you got kind of spooked going there yourself? Uh, you know, I just, I, I always kind of think it would be the greatest thing in the world for me to not get spooked. And if something happened, then I could do a rational report on what happened. Um, yeah. I mean, there are some, you know, the Cecil Hotel didn't spook me out, but I wasn't massively keen to go exploring when the, you know, the Ghost Adventures team went exploring because I, I knew so much had happened there, you know, yeah. so many unhappy things had happened there. And why would you want to, to walk around like that? You know, I mean, right. it's, it's not it's like a graveyard, you know, people say, well, I don't like going to a graveyard because all those people are dead. And I'm like, well, it's, it's, they didn't, you know, they didn't get murdered there. And that's where they were yeah. laid to rest. But in a hotel or a restaurant, if someone got, you know, murdered in the bedroom and, and, you know, I'm pre quite prepared to believe that if they had a spirit or something, it might be there. Why would it not? I mean, if, if you had had your life taken away from you, 
pray, perhaps you'd stay there and hope that eventually someday would would find it out or, or give you maybe the respect you deserve. But no, not anywhere that's creeped me out, but I've definitely spoken to people who've told me stories and they've been quite creepy and, and have made me think, wow, I can tell you really believe that. And that must have been extremely unsettling for you. You've written a lot about L.A., and I could tell from your writing that you have a real passion for it. What is it about L.A. that captivates you and keeps you there? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think like like most people here, sometimes I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with it here. Um, but I think just because I think the thing that's most intrigued me as, as time has gone on is that everyone thinks it's very modern and, you know, a disposable, temporary, you know, uh, fake city but it's not. There's so much interesting history and so much interesting architecture. And, um, you know, I'm from London, obviously, or, or close to London. Of course, of course, London has more history than that. You know, it, it's not like, you know, LA goes deep back into the past. But I think it's a city that nobody thinks there's anything like that at all. So when you do find anything, everyone's always interested. Um, I think it's, it's something like that. I think I talk to people about the books or I mention what I'm interested in. People here are just like, really? I had no idea. They just think, you know, that the city's 50 years old. You know, they think it started with the movies and it was pretty much all glamour from then on. You know, and of course that isn't the case for any, any city of any kind with any industry. What are some of the bars and restaurants that outside of your writing you just love to go to? They put a smile on your face whenever you go there. Um, it's, it's, you know, it tends to be most of the ones that I do like that I, I mention in the books. I mean, there's, I do like going to El Coyote a lot. I mean, a, a lot of people will know that that's a Mexican restaurant where uh, Sharon Polinsky or Sharon Tate and, and her friends had their meal before they were, they were horribly murdered um, uh, back in 68 or 69. Um, that was the last, that was their last meal. And, and people go there every year and, and, you know, book her table to sit at that table. Now that doesn't really interest me so much, but we went to that restaurant, oh, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. It's very close to the house. Um, there have been some other ones, a lot of downtown places. Um, I mean, it changed a lot with COVID, you know, cause a lot of them closed yeah. for a long time. Some of them didn't come back. Um, so there are still some there, but I'm always interested in trying newer places, but I do like the old places like the Grand Central Market, is always great to walk through, you know, I mean, that's a market, but um, I like the farmer's market here, which is at Fairfax and third. Now that's uh, 95 years old. That's, that's coming up for a hundred years, um, but that's an outdoor, you know, farmer's marketplace. Um, you know, it's, I, I don't, I don't always look up restaurants straight away before I go to them. I do try new ones and anyone that's new and anything that's local, uh, I'll give a try to, you know, if it has a happy hour, I'm in. L.A. has some very distinct landmarks that many writers write about. Um, I know that uh, when I read Michael Connolly, he writes a lot about some distinct places, and I feel like I almost know L.A. from his writings. Uh, but there's some places like Mulholland Drive, uh, the La Brea Tar Pits. Do you have any any wonderful like landmarks that are your favorite parts of L.A.? Uh, yeah, I mean, there are some things that, that I think are especially unusual and that most people don't get to see. Um, the, the, like the Hollywood Bowl has a museum, which most people don't know. Oh, yes, I did like, not know that. No, that's the thing. I mean, when you walk up uh, what they call Pepper Tree Lane, which everybody has to walk up 
to get to the Hollywood Bowl but before you give your tickets. Just on the left, there's a, there's a museum. I think it's because it faces out, and so you don't see any sign because you're walking past it. But that's a really little interesting museum, and it's one of those places that you think, I'd never go unless I was at the bowl. Um, but that's an interesting museum. I nearly always go on the on Angel's Flight when I go downtown. That's a little funicular railway that Michael Connolly actually wrote, a, uh, set a couple of his murders on the on Angel's yes. Flight. It's a little... Um, it's just a little orange funicular railway. It goes up and down. There's two of them on a counterbalance. It's on a, it's about a 30 degree gradient and it goes up and down one minute each way. Every time I go town, downtown, I always go on that, usually just up and down, just because when do you ever get to do that? You know, you don't yeah. ever get to do that. Um, I'm really hoping that the, the Bonaventure Hotel reopens its uh, rotating lounge, which it had. Mm. Not many of those left in, in the world. Uh, yeah. And they had one which... We used to go to quite a lot because it has an amazing view. And of course, cl they closed for COVID. Um, but I've actually seen some of the workings on the inside of the of the rotating lounge and how it works. And it, it is not Harry Potter-esque, which is what I thought it would be. I thought it would be all oh. work. And uh, it's just really like a big circle of metal and these little wheels that just ro roll around on it. It was really quite sparse. And I said, well, how do you stop it and start it? And they said, oh, we, we just press stop. And we just press start. There's nothing special about it. It doesn't roll on on its own. It doesn't have a life of its own. It's just like a piece of electronics. You switch it on, you switch it off. This episode is sponsored by Culinary Historians of Northern California, a Bay Area educational group dedicated to the study of food, drink, and culture in human history. To learn more about this organization and their work, please visit their website at www.ch norcal.org Alaskan Blonde came out uh, this year it's your newest book where did you first hear about the Wells murder case and why did you want to write about it that was uh it was lucky it was actually one of the things I covered in my my second book in Gourmet Ghost 2 um, which was a lot more crime focused um, and I had found there's a there's a famous hotel in Hollywood, or it was a famous hotel called the Hollywood Plaza Hotel. Um, it's on Hollywood and Vine, just just a little like a few steps down at Hollywood and Vine. And I looked it up because it was a famous hotel, and um, I couldn't include it in the book unless it had a restaurant or bar. Now it's not good enough to put something in because the the whole point to me is a, is a guide has to be to places you can go. Otherwise, you're right. just looking outside, looking in. Um, and it did have a little like chocolate coffee shop underneath, which was a bit of a cheat, but I looked up the history and it had a couple of suicides and it had some crime, but it also had this, this Alaskan murder case, um, which was that the murder of, of Cecil Wells in, um, in Fairbanks, Alaska in, in 1953. And it was connected because his wife, Diane Wells, uh, came down to LA when she made bail. She was charged with the murder. Um, alongside her lover, uh, Johnny Warren. Um, and she came down to LA uh, for about four or five months uh, before the trial. And um, without giving any spoilers away, that hotel ended up playing a part in the story. And I read the newspaper report about it and I thought, gosh, what a story. Uh, you know, I must read the book about that. And there hadn't been a book about it. And I thought, well, you know, this is the 50s. They must have made like a bad B movie or something because it was a total film noir style story you know he her husband was a rich millionaire you know her lover was like a, a black musician 
you know, you couldn't have made it more film noir. And I just, I didn't really find anything online about it at all, e even any pictures. And that just, yeah, I was just curious. And I just thought, I wonder what happened. What happened to these people? What happened to the children that, that, were ver that these various people had? And that just led me down a, a complete rabbit hole of trying to contact the children who, of course, were all grown now. I mean, they were children at the time. Um, some family members just really to find out what happened. And when I spoke to them and found them, they all said to me, well, we don't know. You know, we were children. No one ever talked to us about it. It's just like a black hole in our history. And that made me even more intrigued to do it. Um, and so, like, like I think I mentioned, I, I ended up going up to Fairbanks and doing some research there. And I'd just been to Fairbanks back in um, October. Um, now the book's finally done um, to go up there. And I met people then who, you know, were around at the time and were, were, were adults at the time. And they were still telling me stuff about it. So it came out of that book. It's in, it's in the book. I put it in the, the second Gourmet Ghost book because I never for a second thought, you know, gosh, this is going to lead into its own book. But that's, that's kind of the beauty of some of the very old stories. They're so unusual and so removed from what we know today. You know, you, you can sort of attach them and you think, what happened? What happened to those people? You know, there was a moment they were in the newspapers, but what happened to them the rest of their lives? As a journalist, you do a lot of research. And as a librarian, I'm very fascinated with what you do. So much of what you talk about makes me think of you almost as a private eye. Um, what, what kind of uh, detective work do you do or what kind of work, what is, describe your uh, research process for these books and stories. Well, it's, it's lucky, thank goodness, obviously the internet is, is yeah. you know, that's the first thing you can say. There are so many websites available from Google right along um, to be able to look up a lot of stuff. And Facebook's really useful to get in touch with people. Um, but a lot of it is, like you said, it's, it's in terms of being quite a private eye, it's, it's also about um, your approach and your tone. You know, when I was getting in touch with people for, for the Alaskan Blonde, most of them quite understandably initially were like, what the hell, why the hell do you care? What's this got to do with you? You know, why, why are you interested in this? It was, you know, 70 years ago. You know, some of them thought I was a lawyer looking for something or some of them, you know, thought I was looking to do some sort of salacious tell-all. Um, but usually if you just listen rather than talk to them, um, I would talk to the family members and, and if you listen rather than talk, they'll tell you usually there was only one or two people who really didn't want to talk about it. You know, everyone I talked to wanted to talk about it because they all said, you know, we never knew what happened. We would like to know what you find out. Um, you know, which, which put a bit of the onus on me to try and be, you know, as even handed as possible. And, you know, when I finished the book, I knew there would be things in there that certain people, family members would, would be upset to read or wouldn't believe or, or wouldn't think were true. Um, because, you know, why would you think that, you know, your mother was a murderer? Why would you ever believe that, you know, for example? Um, but because it was nonfiction and because I'd spoken to these people and, you know, I, I wasn't making anything up, I could sort of present it in a way that I thought, look, here are all the facts that I could find. Here at the end of the book is what I think happened on the night in question. And most of the people that I, I spoke to or who, who were kind enough to get in touch said, you know, that all kind of makes sense. It makes sense. I really appreciate you for doing this. It, it really helped. It answered a lot of questions. Um, and, you know, it was, 
that was that was gratifying because a lot of these people in their 70s and 80s you know and they hadn't really known what happened in that part of their life for 50 or 60 years you know um so i mean is, does that answer your question or did i get a little bit off the point there no 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 that's perfect oh but being a private eye yeah i mean that's the thing but thank goodness for the internet i mean thank goodness for the internet but it, it is all about an approach i mean even when i was doing the gourmet ghost books i wouldn't go into a bar sit down at the bar and say so are there any ghost stories here you know because the, then they feel kind of obliged to tell you one you know, because, right. you know, because it's fun and, and they want to chat to you, you know, so you don't ask that. You usually it's less is more. If you just show an interest and come across as a genuinely interested person, usually people will talk and say, oh, there's this and this has happened. And, you know, and then there's a strange story that everyone here, everyone here knows. And I go, oh, what's that? And then they would tell you the story and, you know, I would remember it or I'd write it down and then I'd go back and look it up. And, you know, a lot of the time I'd go back and say, you know what? That story you told me, that stuff happened. You know, something like that did happen there. And usually they're like, well, we thought so. You know, we imagined that something had happened. Um, so it's, I mean, the internet's absolutely, absolutely imperative. But, you know, I'm, I'm of an age where, you know, I, um, and I think I could still manage if I did that now, but it would just take a lot longer. I think these days we'd have to write a letter. But I also did that when I was, doing the Alaskan Blonde, I wrote letters to people as well, because you can sometimes find their address or what you think is their address. And I, and definitely if you handwrite a letter, people realize that you're actually taking time over it. It's not some weird thing that you found on the internet or you, you just found a scandalous story that you thought you'd find out what happened. Um, I, I'd imagine there's a lot of that, but you know, thank goodness for the archives. I mean, archives and librarians and researchers None, none of anything I would ever do would ever exist without any of them. There's enough material in Gourmet Ghost 1 and 2 easily to do several seasons of a television show. Has anybody ever approached you about something like that? It has. It has been mentioned a few times. Yes. I mean, it, there, there's someone who said that they're interested in, in doing it at the moment. I mean, the thing is, I'm quite happy for people to do that because because pretty much everything that's in the books, you know, it's all public you know, public material, you know, I haven't made anything up. It's not, it's not fiction. Um, you know, that, that I, I, you know, it'd be nice to be involved. It'd be nice to, to front it, you know, cause I've yeah. done some talks and I've done some lectures and, you know, there's, there's always been talk every now and then of a walking tour, perhaps downtown, you know, where I take people to a few places and tell them the stories. And that would be great. Wow. You know, I think that, that anything that anyone that's interested in history and, you know, wants to learn a little bit about where they live, I'm all into that because that's what I want to do. So I wanted to ask you last, uh, what's, what's next for you? That's, it, it's funny. I, the, the last few months, all people have been asking me about which crime are you doing next? Here's a murder <laughs> we heard about in our town. I got quite a few of those people telling me stories from when they were young, something that happened to a friend of theirs or a neighbor or sometimes a family member and it was never solved or they never really knew what happened, um, which was nice of people to offer that, to think that, you know, I could, could help them with that in a way. Um, I, I'm going to put together like a third sort of gourmet ghost book. It's, it's, it's going to be sort of called Gourmet Crimes, I think, because it's going to be sort of a, a revised and updated with some new material, um, sort of version of the first two. Um, but there is, a, there is another murder, actually, in... Uh, in Fairbanks, believe it or not, which somebody told me about when I was up there. 
um, that happened in the same building where the murder I wrote the book about happened, believe it or not. Um, but they told me that story and I was like, hmm, that sounds a little unusual. I wonder what happened there. Um, so I looked in the newspaper archives as I always do first, um, because if there really isn't anything in the newspaper archives, it's going to be harder. It's going to be harder right. to find stuff, especially from long ago. Um, but I looked in the news, newspaper archives. There wasn't a lot, but as I, I should have mentioned before, you, you, know, you can make freedom of information requests to the FBI and you can make requests to local police forces and so forth. I mean, you, you have to find the right website and you have to have the correct information to reply. But this particular one, I, I made a couple of requests and they've, they've asked for two payments for research. So they've obviously found something. What, but what, what, what the documents say, I've no idea. Um, and, you know, it, it's going to have to be something that makes me, you know, suspicious and makes me think, well, that doesn't sound right. Um, you know, it sounds like a suspicious death. Um, and um, I, it, it happened in the 70s. So there are still people around who were, you know, alive at the time, obviously. Um, so that could be a little trickier and, and talking to them. But it, that, if, if that comes through, I'll have a go at that. There's also um, a guy who was involved in the uh, Cecil Wells murder case, who was one of the law enforcement guys. Um, I got to know his children. I say children, you know, they're fully grown adults, now, you know, grand grandparents. But I got to know them quite well. And he had um, he had a private journal that he wrote of his career. Um, and I put some pages of it in the book because they gave me some of these pages because he wrote about the Cecil Wells murder case. But he did write other stuff as well about his career. And, you know, just being in sort of the 1940s and 50s in Alaska, which firstly and secondly it wasn't a terror it wasn't a state then either um, yeah so him being an important law enforcement i was thinking what an interesting project that would be if i could get my hands on on all his notes put them in some sort of order and see if there was a book or or research it and find out what kind of career this guy had again it's you know it's a book that is only just going to be pop interesting to people in alaska but you know he this guy was involved in this case and he writing a few stories for like the pop detective magazines, you know, about some of his bigger cases. And I just thought, well, that sounds interesting, you know, because I guess it's, it's like a lot of writers who do nonfiction, I think. Um, it's just, we just love going through archives and doing research. That's the bit that we love the most, I think. Uh, you know, when it's nonfiction, it, it can almost kind of write itself. And if it can't write itself, you, you probably then you should do fiction. Um, but when it's nonfiction, if it's someone's story or something that really happened, there should be all that source material you can work from. And then you just work backwards and you work sideways and you work forward and you try and just draw an enormous big picture like a big spider web. And then bring it all together and boil it down and go, right, how do I make this interesting to somebody who has no idea about this at all? I have to make it, you know, a, a narrative. I have to give it a beginning, a middle and an end. I can't go around individually talking to everybody and go, you'll never guess this story that I found. You have to read this book. You know, you, you can't do that. It's got to be something that people can latch onto and follow throughout the book. So you end up, you know, never using a huge amount of stuff that you find because it's not relevant to, to making someone else interested because they'll never be as interested as you are, you know, because you spent all the time doing all the research. 
but you know so i'm i'm an expert on you know one murder in alaska in the 1950s which you know i i don't know if that's something i can take to my grave but you know it's uh it's something I, I definitely know about. And if people talk to me or ask about it, I can go, yes, I know that to be true or I know that not to be true. It's funny. I, I love nonfiction and I read a lot of it. I, I think a bulk of what I read is nonfiction. And even so often, if you know what's going to happen at the end, because it's history, obviously, yeah, it's still, if somebody writes it well, it's thrilling. Like I remember I read something just this year about the beginning of World War II. Hmm. And when um, Britain entered into war with Germany, and of course I knew it was going to happen, but I was still on the edge of my seat throughout the entire book. And I yeah. think that people like you make history exciting. Well, you, you have to, because at, at the end, you know, I try not to give the spoilers away, but, you know, it's a murder case. It's not going to end well, is it? You know, I mean, it's not going to end happily. Yeah. No one's going to be yeah. happy at the end. Um, so that's fairly a given. But what you try and the, 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 the interest in the story is, how did all these people end up here? How did they all end up being in a room? Or how did one person end up with a gun in their hand? How did that come to pass? Was, there a, was it an absolute spur of the moment thing? Or was it something that was planned? And if it was something that came to pass, can we look at their history and go, you know what? This was going to happen. Or do we look at it and go, that was an absolute moment out of nowhere. But why was it out of nowhere? And what happened? Because, you know, it's, it's, you know, people said to me, well, the, the book isn't a great book because, you know, it doesn't go to trial. You know, no one goes to prison. And I said, well, it doesn't, that doesn't mean necessarily that it's not an interesting story, you know, and, and in this case, you know, someone did go to prison in relation to this murder. It just wasn't anyone they expected. And that's what I found out, you know, and I was talking to people who, you know, were closely connected to the story. And they said, well, we didn't know that. Someone went to prison for it. And I said, oh, yes, you know, served, well, 60 days, which isn't much. But uh, someone did go to prison in relation to this crime. Nobody had any idea about that. So, you know, it's it, it's just all the factors that are involved in a story. You know, World War Two is, you know, OK, so the England and the Americans, the Allies beat the Germans and the Japanese. You know, that that's how you could sum it up after five years and many millions of people got. And it's like, well, you've got to give me more than that. You, you yeah. can't just tell me that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> how did that get to be who who did this what happened what were the important things that led to the moment let's say when you know um a surrender was signed what led to that moment who signed that surrender and did they really feel they needed to sign it and what was their reason behind it did they feel they had no choice or did they do it because they felt it was the right thing you know you're you're guessing to an extent but if you provide enough facts and again, this is why nonfiction is great. If you provide enough facts, the reader, hopefully, if you've presented them in that way, will get to a stage where they're like, I get it. I can see why that happened. And then you have a greater understanding. James, I've had a great time talking to you today. I want to thank you for being on the podcast. I hope you get to come on again sometime. Oh, thank you very much. I'd be, I'd be happy to. That was my conversation with James Bartlett. His newest book, The Alaskan Blonde, is out now. You can get it at all better bookstores. We also have links to buy it online in the bio. Tomorrow we'll be talking with Allison Walsh of the literary-themed cooking blog, Wonderland Recipes. You can help us promote this podcast by sharing this on social media. You can share on social and tag us at, at welllibrarian. Follow the Well Season Librarian podcast on Spotify, and you'll be notified 
when new episodes come each week. As you do your holiday shopping this season, remember that cookbooks and all books make the best gifts. If you buy them from the local bookstore, you'll be doing doubly good. I hope you all of you are cooking up some great things, and we'll be talking with you tomorrow.